Our scripture reading this morning is from Mark chapter 9, and it's on your handouts. If you want to follow along. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And Jesus said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child, and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. The word of the Lord. This morning in the passage we're going to look at together in Mark, we're going to see someone who has the best day ever and wants to keep it that same way and do it again and again and again. Just a reminder, you as a church, and my church, Church of the Ascension in Arlington, we're all going through Mark together. And this morning we're in Mark 9. And it's important to know, just a reminder, where we are structurally in the book. Mark really has two main foci. The first is, the first half of the book really is driving to Jesus as the king. Jesus is bringing the kingdom of heaven as the long-awaited for Messiah to die for Jew and Gentile to be reconciled to God. That is all about what Mark is trying to convince you of, the first eight chapters of the book. The second chapter, half of the book is driving you then to what makes that kingdom come, and that is Jesus dying on the cross. So the first half is about the king, and the second half is about the cross. But there's a bridge between these two halves, and we are in the middle of that bridge. That bridge started at chapter 8, verse 22, with a paragraph about a blind man, And it's going to end in chapter 10, verse 52, with a paragraph about a blind man. 
Okay, blind men, blind men. So the two pillar, the two ends of the bridge are these blind men. The two, three pillars of this bridge are three passion predictions Jesus is going to make, trying to help the disciples understand, I need to go and suffer at the hands of the chief priests and the Romans and be executed. He's going to try over and over and over again to get all of us to understand just what it takes for the king to inaugurate his kingdom. And each time, you know what? We're not going to get it. And the center of the bridge, that place like if you're driving across Key Bridge and you have two tires in Virginia and two tires in the district. The center of that bridge is chapter 8, verse 29 that we looked at probably some this week on Ash Wednesday, which is Jesus saying, you are the Christ. Jesus asks, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And then Peter, of course, says, you are the Christ, the Messiah. He, he gets it. For a brief moment, Peter really has this high and then a low right after that that we won't talk about today. Okay, so that's where you are structured. It's important to remember because the next two weeks, we're really looking again at this very driving middle bridge, what's going to happen. And our scene today is up on this mountain, what we often call the Mount of Transfiguration, where Peter and James and John are brought up to this unbelievable best day ever. So one, it's worth noting that Peter, after he had this low, after he tried to tell Jesus not to talk about what it would mean to die on the cross in chapter 8, Jesus still takes Peter up on the Mount of Transfiguration. That is a really striking thing to make sure you notice. Here he failed utterly. If I'm Jesus, I go, James, John, Nathaniel, come with me. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus had said to Peter, I will build my church on you. So you have to come with me and see this. They go up the Mount and suddenly... Incredible, unbelievable experience. No human being has ever had any other time in history. Elijah and Moses come down from heaven and meet with Jesus. In his transfigured, the Greek is metamorphe, his metamorphosized form as fully body, fully divine. Fully human, fully divine. They get to see this, and it freaks them out. Okay, think of the whitest snow you've seen this week. Jesus is whiter than that. Peter, in his beautiful way, Kind of an over-talker, right? Has to talk his way through his anxiety. Um, we should do something. We should build tabernacles. We should build this temple. We should take this best day ever and mark it some way so that we can come back to it again and again and again. And in the midst of that moment, the scene changes. If you're making a movie, it goes from bright, sunny day to dark clouds descending with great speed. And a very loud, loud, booming voice. Think of your favorite reader of the scripture here at Christ Church, Gina, that voice saying, this is my beloved son, listen to him. It's a subtle, gentle rebuke for Peter. Peter's now had two rebukes, the end of chapter 8 and the beginning of chapter 9. If I were Peter, I'd start thinking maybe I'll talk a little less. Because God comes in and says, no, what really matters here, Peter, is not what you're experiencing and want to do. But it's, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Clouds, boom, correction. And then these paragraphs at the end, where they're trying, Jesus is again trying to explain to the disciples, I'm going to need to go and die at the hands of the very religious authorities that you think are the best people in Israel. And they don't really get it. And then we're supposed to welcome children to be a part. This is all kind of weird. What's going on here? I just want to highlight two things, one about our Lord and one about Peter from this set of passages, this set of verses this morning. First, the best day ever in our Lord, Jesus. 
I wonder if I, I'd love to see a show of hands. How many of you have ever felt lonely before? <laughs> lonely. Just downright lonely. Especially in D.C. I think D.C. and Northern Virginia can be fairly lonely places to live. And what's at the core of being lonely? Why do you get lonely? Why do I get lonely? Because you want to be known, right? We want to know and be known. We've been created in the image of a God that is fully relational. And so we long like him to be known. And if you brush too quickly past these verses, you miss, I think, the one place in the Gospels before the cross where you see Jesus' full lonely humanity in a way unlike any other. Because if you think about Jesus' life up to this point, he's been on earth 31, 32 years, and no one, no one really knows who he is. Think if, if you've moved to D.C., how many of you moved some, to D.C. from somewhere else? And how many of you know then that the people who know you here don't know you from there? They don't know what you were like there. So if you're Jesus and you're from heaven, hey, where are you from? I'm from heaven. No one knows that. No one understands that. But here's this brief glimpse that God sends Elijah and Moses to him. And for a few moments, we don't know how long this took. Maybe it took, maybe they're together an hour, three hours. We don't know what they were talking about. I love that, that that's not recorded. It might have just been, Jesus, how are you doing? We are watching what's happening. We are with the Father, and he feels your pain and how clueless the disciples are. How are you feeling about that? We don't know how they knew the difference between Elijah and Moses, right? They're both prophets, probably big beards, name tags, I don't know. <laughs> But what we do know is suddenly here is fully human, fully divine Jesus with someone who's divine from heaven with him. He's suddenly for a few moments not lonely. And if you've ever been lonely and you think, who can I talk to about it? You can take away from this passage, I can talk to Jesus. Because he spent, in essence, his whole time here on earth not being known except for this scene. And what he does on the cross is go through the most abject loneliness anyone has ever gone through because he's utterly ripped away from himself to die on behalf of you and me. But for the best day ever for Jesus, this is what we can note. He was lonely and you can call to him in your loneliness. Okay, then the best day ever in Peter Peter is understanding, and if you've been reading with us in Mark, you see that that is a very big word. Jesus keeps saying to the disciples, understand, perceive, understand, get it, figure out who I am and what my kingdoms are like. I said when I was here about a month ago, this is a you catastrophe kingdom. It's bringing a good catastrophe, a good death. Jesus is trying to get them to understand, I am in fact fully God, fully man, the Son of God come to die for you. And Peter gets it. He has this best day, this unbelievable experience. He's drawn into what is happening in the heavens. But to understand this, this big best day for him means understanding what's the central statement of this story, right? What's the central statement? Is it Peter's suggestion to build tabernacles for Jesus? Jesus, who in fact is God, a tabernacling God in the flesh, in his very person. So to say to Jesus, let's build a tabernacle for you, the tabernacle, the theology of that is all crazy. Is the central statement of this paragraph Peter's statement? Or is it God's statement about Jesus, to Jesus, his beloved son? 
This is my beloved son. Listen to him. In other words, is the central part of this very important, very well-known paragraph of Scripture, is it us and our perspective on God's kingdom, or is it God and his kingdom? See, if it's about Peter and what he experiences, then again, this is an anthropocentric paragraph, a a paragraph of Scripture that's about man, man man-centered, anthropocentric. And our theology begins with us. What's it like for me to see Jesus and Elijah and Moses? What do I think I should do when I see them? Or is it a theocentric paragraph? It begins with who God is. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Of course, the central hinge in this paragraph is the word of God to his son. In chapter 1 of Mark, God comes and says this very same phrase, this is my beloved son, because he's preparing Jesus for his ministry after he's been baptized and being sent actually to suffer in the wilderness for 40 days and be tempted by the devil. This is my beloved son, chapter 1, prepares him for ministry. This is my beloved son, chapter 9, prepares him for the cross. Jesus is about to go do something very, very hard and painful. And in this moment, he suddenly sees his friends Elijah, his friend Moses, and again hears the words of his father, I love you. And an exhortation to his disciples, listen to him. Actually, the Greek is keep listening to him. The assumption is they have been and that they will and should be. The assumption is you have been and you will and should be. Keep listening to him. Because the central part of the transfiguration is not what Peter says. The central part of the transfiguration is what God says. And this is a window. I believe one of the reasons you say this would be my favorite day, and I bet all our days are different, your best day ever, is because in some way that day reflects what you believe it means to be fully human. The way God has made you to be fully yourself. And we get a window here into what it's means for all of us to be fully human. Keep listening to him. Be in relationship with my son. To listen to someone is to be in relationship with them. It's a response to the two questions we saw in chapter 8. It's one thing to know the answer to this question. Who do people say that I am? There's lots of people here and in other churches and not in church at all in Vienna and Northern Virginia who could answer that question. Who do people say that Jesus is? It's an utterly different question to answer this question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Peter gets that because he knows for himself, I believe, in chapter 8. And what God is saying to Peter again and to you and to me is, who do you say Jesus is? And if you believe he's the Messiah like Peter, then keep listening to him. Because fundamentally, that is what the best day ever begins to look like. Understand, know, perceive, listen, be in relationship to him. Because then, you know what? You will be more fully alive. What Peter wants to do, because he has this great experience, is have a static response. I'm going to build a temple. They're actually geographically probably still near Caesarea Philippi, which is where they were in chapter 8. And if Caesarea Philippi was known for having shrines and temples and tabernacles to every god you can imagine, so for Peter to look at this and say, wow, important things with the God you should, you should build is not totally off the page. He's not crazy. But it's just not off what a relationship with Jesus is like. 
Peter is looking for a static response, an anthropocentric response. I'm going to build something. Because then I can take back, bring Johnny and go, Johnny, you should see the temple. Let me tell you about that time when I was there and Jesus was there and I saw Elijah and Moses. Notice the pronouns, and I saw, and then I built, and then I... When you build a static response, if you want that, then that's what you can do. You make the pronouns about you. What Jesus is saying, and what God is saying very clearly, and not angrily, but certainly directly to Peter, is... I don't want a static response. I want an organic relationship. Be in relationship with Jesus. Don't stay up on the mountain, literally. Go down with Jesus off the mountain to the cross. Peter's not supposed to become a mountain hermit to tell people, that the, the traveling visitors from North America, about what it was like when Jesus was transfigured. Peter's supposed to go with Jesus to be his disciple, to follow him, and to die himself on behalf of Jesus. That's an, an utterly different response to the best day ever than what Peter thinks it's going to be and what you and I think it's going to be. One way to think about it is, would you rather have a shrine or a picture of your loved ones in your house or your loved ones in your house? A picture of your spouse or your spouse? See, it's risky, it's costly, and it's not always comfortable to be in a relationship with Jesus. Peter was creating a fairly comfortable way to respond to this overwhelming best day ever. But we're not meant to stay on the mountain in a static response. This eucatastrophe humanity that God is inviting us into is a reminder, in this passage especially, the gospel is not just for you. You are on mission. Peter comes down off the mountain, and you get these short little paragraphs at the end that Corky read, and they're reminded, even then, I'm going to go and die. Jesus wasn't transfigured, so he'd go to Jerusalem and be inaugurated as the new king of Israel. He was going to go to Jerusalem and die on a cross on a hill. And it was so important that the disciples needed to get it because they needed to welcome people, even children, to this good news. The reason Peter had the experience on the mountain was not for Peter. It was for Peter and the little children at the end of the chapter and the people they'd meet in Acts and on and on and on. We're not supposed to be Jesus' watchers. We're supposed to be Jesus' disciples, to listen and obey and respond and become like him. The disciples still had a lot to learn, that part of the cost of the kingdom of God was ceasing to seek high places for themselves. Isn't it interesting that the argument about who was greatest comes after three of them were on the Mount of Transfiguration? Wouldn't that be just like you and me? As cool and subtle and sophisticated as we all are in Northern Virginia, can't you see us slipping that out? I wonder who's the greatest. Well, whoever went up on that mountain is probably the greatest. But we could ask Jesus. He took me. He didn't take you. Not that you guys aren't good. He didn't cast out some demons and heal some sick people, but I was on the mountain. <laughs> can't, can't, that is so easy to see that happening, isn't it? They've missed that servanthood and humility are the only paths to true human greatness. Servanthood and humility are the only paths to true human greatness. Not anthropocentric, but theocentric. Not who am I, but who is Jesus? See again, these big experiences that we often have and want and long for are given certainly for your blessing and your encouragement, but they're given also for our mission for the King. They're given for Sarah and John and Ken and Nan and Karen and David and Paul, but also for Vienna and Arlington and Falls Church in Clarendon, and your neighborhood, and my neighborhood. And when we live into that, that again is a taste of the best day ever.
pray. Dear Lord, I thank you again for the humility of Peter to have told this story to John Mark that he recorded. Twice now in these chapters we see Peter fail. And twice now we see you bring him along with you still to build your church on him. I confess my own desire to make the story about me and my own desire and fear for what it means for me to take it up my cross and follow you. I pray you continue to remind each of us, Lord, that we are not only here to be blessed this morning, but then to be sent. You know the little children that will come across this week, literal and figurative children, who need to be received like you would receive them, who need to be told again of what it meant that you came and died for us. Grant us the courage and the vision and the passion you had to do that, to die to ourselves. In your holy name, amen.